This episode of Tech News Day is sponsored by Mint Mobile and by Babbel. When talking about cryptocurrency and the wider Web3, DeFi, blockchain world, it is common to hear it described by critics as a pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme or a combination of both because those two things, they are slightly different. In a pyramid mm -hmm. scheme, uh, new recruits pay to join under the pretense that they will make their money back and then some by recruiting others to join under the same pretense but underneath them. Mm -hmm. Rinse and repeat and what you end up with looks a lot like a pyramid with the early adopters at the top making lots of money while the people at the bottom of the pyramid uh, struggle to find anyone left to recruit. Mm -hmm. And notably, while multi-level marketing is often compared to pyramid schemes and does have a similar structure, in most true pyramid schemes, there's no actual product or investment. It's all just built around the idea that if you pay to join now, you'll turn a profit from recruiting others below you in the pyramid. It's illogical on its face, especially after doing just some basic math and discovering how quickly a pyramid's bottom layer will run out of new people to recruit. But people are pretty damn illogical when it comes to money, and uh, it seems like a nice, fast, easy way to make a buck. So you're telling me this line that is going up will continue to go up forever? It won't stop. I mean, a sucker is born every minute. They are. Uh, a Ponzi scheme, on the other hand, is still triangle-shaped, but it does not involve members directly recruiting other members below them. And it's presented to members as a legitimate investment. In a Ponzi scheme, a fake financial guru promises to invest your money and periodically provides you with unusually lucrative and consistent returns on your investments, but those profits aren't actually from successful investing. They're really just the money that was invested by people who joined after you. And those people only profit once other people join later on. Uh, and like with the pyramid scheme, eventually you run out of new people and the whole thing just completely falls apart. Yeah, but, was... but while it's working, it's working fantastic. People buying in means price and line go up. Um, and that means you can cash out for a profit and leave those suckers holding the bag when the price goes back down. Sometimes this happens within a, the course of minutes in what is known as a rug pull. Uh-huh. There's just a skip all the, the foreplay. Let's just get this done. Yeah. Uh, there's also recently been several examples of DeFi's, basically unregulated crypto banks, offering huge interest rates just for parking your money with them until collapsing under their own weight, while presumably still getting whoever's in charge quite rich. Yeah. It wasn't a failure for me. <laughs> they I made a lot of money. <laughs> worked as intended. Yeah. I don't know what everyone's complaining about. Yeah. So yeah, you've got cryptocurrency in general, which has pyramid and Ponzi scheme elements. But then within the larger scheme, you've got smaller schemes within schemes, like a, a pyramid-shaped Russian nesting doll. In general, it's never what you would call a textbook pyramid or Ponzi scheme, because I mean, that kind of thing, that would be, that would be an absolute layup for the SEC if anyone was just going to do that. Yeah. But wait, what's this headline here say? SEC, crypto fraudsters raised $300 million with textbook pyramid and Ponzi scheme. <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, well. Well, uh, yeah, let's see what else this Ars Technica article has to say. All right, here we go. Uh, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission yesterday filed a lawsuit against 11 people accused of creating and promoting a crypto-pyramided Ponzi scheme known as Forsage. Uh, the fraudulent scheme, quote, raised more than $300 million from millions of retail investors worldwide, including in the United States, the SEC's announcement said. The SEC alleged that in January 2020, Vladimir Akhotnikov, Jane Doe, a.k.a. Lola Ferrari, Mikhail Sergeev and Sergei Maslakov launched Forsage.io, a website that allowed millions of retail investors to enter into transactions via smart contracts that operated on the Ethereum, Tron, and Binance blockchain. Forsage allegedly operated as a pyramid scheme for more than two years in which investors earned profits by recruiting others into the scheme. 
Forsage also used assets from new investors to pay earlier investors in a typical Ponzi structure, the SEC said. So, <laughs> wow, yeah, they really... They really just looked at the textbook definition and said, <laughs> well, why don't we do that? A new version, the 21st century. This version. is It's a pyramid scheme, but it's on the blockchain. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, wow. Everyone hates pyramid schemes. They're, they're old. They're inefficient. What we aim to do is take pyramid schemes and put them on the blockchain. Yes. And everyone clapped. And I, and I think a lot of people, especially in the crypto world, um, in a lot of cases plenty of them that aren't, but in a lot of cases are aware of what's happening and are willing to take a gamble on whether or not they can get out before the full rug pull happens. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, look, there's nothing... The only people that really got screwed in uh, Charles Ponzi's original scheme were the people that got in at the end. So yeah. that's why I'm getting in as quickly as possible. Yeah. Like, there's, you know, I'd say it's probably 50-50 with celebrities. Like, half the celebrities... Uh, knew that this was probably uh, a bad idea, bad investment, but they were getting tons of money and assets from crypto companies. I think they and just the other like the ones, JPEGs. And the <laughs> other ones were just like, uh, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, I'll, I guess I'll promote this. Here's my board ape. And then there's Seth Green, who seems to legitimately love his stupid fucking ape. I think he has, he's like kind of pot committed on it. He's like, well, I can't turn my back <laughs> on it now. Yeah. With everything that's gone on, I'll look like an idiot. Yeah, I've I've just hitched my entire identity to this bullshit. If I back out now, where's my credibility? Yeah, it would have looked stupid the entire time that I was saying how this is the next big thing and it's going to change the world. Anyway, for more on how this worked, uh, here's some of the SEC's complaint. Forsage is a textbook pyramid and Ponzi scheme. They keep saying that. <laughs> it did not sell or purport to sell any actual consumable product to bona fide retail customers during the relevant time period and had no apparent source of revenue other than funds received from investors. The primary way for investors to make money from Forsage was to recruit others into the scheme. To participate, an investor created a crypto asset wallet and then purchased slots in Forsage's smart contracts, which gave the investor the right to earn compensation from others whom the investor recruited into the scheme, the downlines, and compensation from the larger Forsage community of investors in the form of profit sharing of payments known as spillovers. When an investor purchased a slot, a portion of that investment was directed to the persons who recruited the investor, the uplines, and the investor in turn became an upline to whoever the investor recruited. Thus, all payouts to earlier investors were made using funds received from later investors. Literally a fucking pyramid slash Ponzi scheme. Yeah. You got both elements in there. I don't know if there's ever been as clear cut of an example of both variations on the triangle scheme put together. Yeah. It's incredible. And they did this for two years, and people were like, sounds great. Well, why would they be do so, doing something illegal so openly and publicly? I like this. Like, so, yeah, all I got to do is recruit more people, and they got to recruit more people, and on, and on, and on. And, uh, yeah, I guess that just goes on forever. Because people are having babies all the time. So, yeah. Suckers yeah. born every minute. Uh, this really was a classic pyramid scheme just dressed up in new high-tech clothes. Like we said, it's just, we put it on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. Don't you want in? Which is basically what every crypto company said to every actual large legitimate brand over the past two years? You're going to want in on this. You're going to want to tell your investors that you are on the blockchain. Yeah. Um, but uh, as Axios points out, based on Forsage's own marketing material, it really is a pure multi-level marketing scheme or pyramid. And, and the marketing video that they link to contains several diagrams and explanations that are just literally the layout of how a pyramid scheme works. It's incredible. It is like Michael Scott drawing a pyramid yeah. scheme on a whiteboard and then having everyone in the office tell him what it is without him even knowing it. Yeah. 
Uh, anyways, Axios then goes further into describing Forsage's very transparent pitch. The only thing anyone is selling is Forsage, though. Users buy a slot in the system, recruit others, and earn what they pay for joining. Once a certain number of people join under one person, the person who recruited that person gets paid. There's nothing else to it beyond that. <laughs> Forsage makes no representation as doing anything else, like offering some sort of financial product or asking people to sell some sort of physical goods. Forsage operates on the Binance Smart Chain, Ethereum, and Tron, each of which are smart contract-enabled chains that can run a scheme like this automatically. So that's the cool part. Before, running a, a Ponzi scheme, ugh, gotta keep track of all this data, but now, thanks to the blockchain, mm -hmm. the smart contract does the scheme for you. Yeah. That gives you more time to rake in the profits and, uh, you know, get the fuck away from where the authorities might be looking for you. Because, yeah, multiple agencies in multiple countries uh, repeatedly over the last two years warned Forsage that what they were doing was probably highly illegal and they should stop immediately. Uh, but they just kept on doing it. And now 11 people are charged for their involvement. Good. Uh, four of those people are the founders of this. Good. And they're all believed to be overseas and therefore outside the SEC's reach. Not good. Uh, but the other seven are all based in the U.S. What were they thinking? And, and it sounds like they all built some very big pyramids of their own within the pyramid by uh, endorsing and heavily promoting Forsage. Uh, basically, freelance, uh, they, they had their own groups. They, they were running their own Discord channels. They were getting groups of people together in lonely suburbs and yeah. saying, hey, look, it's not Tupperware, but since when does Tupperware put money back in your pocket? Yeah. You don't need to convert your kid's room into a merchandise room. This is all on the blockchain. It's all virtual. And at least with Cutco knives, you'll have something to end the pain with afterwards. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the multi-level business model, it really does let you be your own boss <laughs> with all of the legal liabilities that that entails. Yeah. Like, no, you don't understand. I wasn't at the top of the chain, but you were at the top of a chain. It says here in this post to LinkedIn uh, one year ago that you were a crypto millionaire who was a genius yeah. and all you had to do was join the program. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Went to the, what was this? The school of hard knocks? <laughs> Under education, it says school of hard knocks. Can you explain that please? Oh, well, I got caught up in the 2017 crypto crash and I learned a lot. I got knocked around quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, speaking of the world of crypto crossing over into the world of more established scams, higher education in this country has many scam-like elements to it. You do technically get a valuable degree with the potential for greater career mobility, but at this point, you really got to weigh the cost against the benefits because getting a college degree can be something you're paying for for most of the rest of your life. And one way people really get nickel and dimed while pursuing an education is textbooks, which cost more than anyone could ever possibly justify. There's just no way. You yeah. will never convince me under any circumstances, that that's how much a fucking textbook should cost. And they redo them every year with certain things changed ah, slightly. Ah, well, you, you you got last year's version, so I guess you're going to have to get Unfortunately, you can't be using that one. It's not updated. Yeah. So, yeah, in addition to textbooks being expensive just to buy, uh, the greedy bastards who run the textbook companies, they love finding new ways to rob students blind, like releasing barely updated new editions yeah. that force students to buy new instead of used, uh, or adding an online element that's only accessible with a new textbook and also non-transferable. So if you buy it used, well, you, you... why didn't you do the online lessons? I love the idea of like at post COVID, like you buy a new textbook full price and they just hand you a laminated sheet of paper with a QR code on it. Yeah. So yeah, if you were looking for yet another problem for the blockchain to solve, uh, the textbook companies are now apparently really interested in non-fungible tokens. Great. Which, which solve the problem of them <laughs> making less money than they wish they were making. Uh, here's Bloomberg. 
The chief executive officer of Pearson PLC, one of the world's largest textbook publishers, said he hopes technology like non-fungible tokens and the blockchain could help the company take a cut from secondhand sales of its materials as more books go online. The print editions of Pearson's titles, such as Fundamentals of Nursing, which sells new for around £58, $70.88, can be resold several times to other students without making the London-based education group any money. As more textbooks move to digital, CEO Andy Bird wants to change that. We're missing out on all this money from, uh, you know, stuff we already sold. Why aren't we making money when they sell again? There's literally laws around physical products. Like, it's, it's illegal in most countries to take a, any sort of commission off of resale of products you've already sold. But with digital goods, baby, the sky's the limit. Yeah. Anyway, here's what CEO Andy Bird said about his plans for NFTs. In the analog world, a Pearson textbook was resold up to seven times, and we would only participate in the first sale. The move to digital helps diminish the secondary market, and technology like blockchain and NFTs allows us to participate in every sale of that particular item as it goes through its life by tracking the material's unique identifier on the ledger from owner A to owner B to owner C. So yeah, this is, of course, extremely greedy, even by textbook publisher standards, but it's also a super dumb idea because the entire concept is already entirely possible without getting the blockchain involved at all, like so many other blockchain-based ideas. Yes. Uh, the Verge goes into this deeper here. As with many mainstream crypto applications, NFTs don't bring an obvious technical innovation to this question. Bird talks up the way crypto's ledgers track an item's ownership from owner A to owner B to owner C, but this has always been possible using a digital database. A blockchain offers a decentralized version of that database, but the odds of Pearson using a fully decentralized open system are approximately zero. It would almost certainly extend an existing copy protection scheme to stop non-NFT owners from pirating its books. That would make the NFT a fig leaf on top of an old-fashioned digital rights management or DRM framework. NFTs can theoretically be sold on third-party markets that aren't approved by the creator. But big companies like Ubisoft certainly haven't followed that principle, and Pearson may not either. Yeah, it would almost certainly just be within its own ecosystem. Like, you're not going to see textbooks on fucking OpenSea, probably. I don't know. It's uh, a dumb idea. Also, like, this just goes without acknowledging the clear problem uh, for anyone that wants to have any value in an NFT is that there are infinite amounts of ways to copy something digital and re-host it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you could be uh, sailing the seven seas in no time with these things. Yeah, I mean, there would have to be some sort of online only like connected element to this that's only accessible with the token because yeah otherwise i mean even what with fucking it, difference like, does it make what screen recording software like you can go pretty yeah. deep with it outside of just copy and pasting like there's right. there's ways around it and people who are dropping hundreds of dollars a semester on books sometimes do find those ways around it sometimes thousands of dollars and the worst is when a professor makes you get a bunch of books and you barely even fucking touch them Anyway, it seems like all this this NFT textbook talk, it really might just be yet another company bringing up blockchain tech to its investors to seem like they're on the cutting edge. Uh, it, you know, it definitely wouldn't put it past them to actually try this nonsense, but uh, that's the vibe I'm getting here. Blockchain. Meanwhile, Pearson CEO also uh, at the same event name dropped another new technology to his investors saying, quote, we have a whole team working on the implications of the metaverse yeah. and what that could mean for us. Uh, get fucked. 
And yeah, before you spend too much time like thinking about how a textbook company could possibly implement the metaverse into their product offerings, just know that Pearson stock price jumped 10% following these announcements. Yes, investors love hearing about how They're companies so are going to implement Web3 and the metaverse into their business, regardless of whether it makes any sense at all. Yeah, the, the, it was, it's, it's like it spawns from an investor question uh, of like, well, what are you guys doing to stop piracy? I mean, in this digital age, piracy is so rampant. What can you do to make sure that your funds are safe and growing? Uh, oh, well, we've... Uh, Funny you should ask. Yeah. Uh, We've got top men yes. looking into uh -huh. non-fungible tokens. And it's then not just about apes. Then everyone literally cheers. And the stock price goes up. And then a bunch of people sell. And the, the people left holding the bag are like, wait a second. Yeah. This blockchain shit is stupid. I do hope they implement it, though, because I, I don't. But uh, it would be funny. It kind of wouldn't. It would be sad. But I just I love the idea of all my textbooks gone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, your wallet gets stolen, wallet inspector comes. Damn it. Yeah. All my textbook's gone. And then what are you going to do? You're going to get kicked out of college. Yeah. Can't learn without a textbook. It's been proven. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and your, now your social credit has uh, been lowered. That guy's got a loose wallet. Yeah. <laughs> Don't hang out with him. Uh, but let's move on from textbook companies to something even more unavoidable for the average person. Consumer credit reporting agencies. God damn it. They're always fun, and they're always up to some kind of hijinks. Yeah. What are they up to now? Unpredictable. Uh, at least with textbook companies, you can avoid them by not going to school. <laughs> <laughs> but with credit reporting companies like Equifax, they're watching you, and they're keeping tabs on you and influencing the financial course of your life pretty much from the day you were born. Uh, it's often a complete mystery what exactly determines the changes to your credit score on any given day. But that, that credit score, it does affect whether you can move, get hired for a job, get decent insurance rates, or purchase anything requiring a payment plan. Yeah. yeah. Oh, over in China, they have social credit. If you have a low credit score, you, there's certain things you can't do. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if such a thing happened in this country? At least the credit reporting bureaus always have the best interests of the American consumer. At least they do their one job correctly. And they and and, and security. You want to talk security? Oh, my the, gosh. Oh, the best security the that best. you could ask for. And why wouldn't they have the best security when people's lives are on the line? Yeah. But not only best security, sound decision-making. Yes. All <laughs> fair, those things. Fair and balanced. Say what you will about the credit reporting agency. <laughs> now, look, I, the credit... Credit reports suck. That's not to say that credit scores are entirely bad or unnecessary. I mean, if someone is loaning you money or granting you access to something before you've fully paid for it, it does make sense that they would want to evaluate how likely you are to actually pay them back. Mm -hmm. But when one minor financial misstep can seriously affect your credit score for years, it can be very frustrating. Plus, you know, there was, of course, that time a couple of years back that uh, all the personal data that Equifax collected about you without your consent over the course of your entire life was uh, hacked due to sheer technological incompetence on their part. And uh, and all you got out of it was some free credit monitoring for a couple of years. There was that, too. <laughs> We're going to keep an eye on that. that Don't that, you worry. That definitely influenced uh, a lot of our opinions on companies like Equifax. Yeah. Well, five years after the Equifax hack, Equifax is back on their bullshit in new and exciting ways. TransUnion just sitting there on the sidelines waiting to strike. Like, yeah. we could be the biggest one if they keep fucking up. TransUnion sounds a little bit political. What, are they grooming? Yeah, they must be. <laughs> uh, so this time, instead of one in three Americans being at increased risk of identity theft due to sheer negligence, Equifax managed to fail at their core purpose for existing in the first place. Credit scores. 
Uh, instead of seemingly arbitrary credit scores, for three weeks earlier this year, they sent out totally arbitrary <laughs> credit scores with absolutely no correlation to reality, and it fucked people up. Yeah. In, in ways like... It is hard for me to imagine how frustrating this would be. I I signed on my mortgage like right before this all <laughs> happened too, which is like, whew. Imagine making like, like a car or a house, like the biggest financial purchase you, you, you will ever make in your entire life. And you've been working at this for like, you know, 20 years, 15 years, whatever. And then it's like, you just checked the score. You just went and talked to the bank. And then all of a sudden the, the time comes and it's like, hey, buddy. What are, you, what are you doing in here? You got a 450? Get out of here. Get the hell out of here. Don't let the door hit you in the ass. But uh, yeah, this is what happened, and it is maddening. Here's Wall Street Journal. Equifax Inc. provided inaccurate credit scores on millions of U.S. consumers seeking loans during a three-week period earlier this year, according to bank executives and others familiar with the errors. Equifax sent the erroneous scores on people applying for auto loans, mortgages, and credit cards to banks and non-bank lenders big and small, including J.P. Morgan Chase & Co., Wells Fargo & Co., and Ally Financial Inc., the people said. The scores were sometimes off by 20 points or more in either direction, people <laughs> said, enough to alter the interest rates consumers were offered or to result in their applications being rejected altogether. Uh, so yeah, this apparently happened from mid-March, early April. And while Equifax says that only a small number of score shifts resulted in a different credit decision due to this technology coding issue, Equifax keeps tabs on over 200 million people. And it's unclear what a small number <laughs> means in that context. Just a little... Just, just a few. Even a fraction of a, or a small percentage is a lot of people. So yeah, five uh, percent yeah. of two hundred million is ten million people. That's uh, it's a lot. Uh, the article says that at one big bank, eighteen percent of applicants had incorrect scores, and that Equifax notified one large auto lender that thousands of its applicants had credit scores that were off by twenty-five points or more, which. Uh, look, can result in interest rates that cost you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars yeah, over the term of that, is, yeah. even a car loan. Yeah. I mean, when you sign on, that's you are locked into that rate. I mean, there are ways down the line with Refinance, some guess, loans yeah. to refinance it or renegotiate it. But, but that's going to hurt your credit score if you yeah, go for that again. You it, know? In general, you are locked into the, the rate that you get for a long time. Yeah. So yeah, the timing here also could not have been much worse considering that mortgage rates have gone up uh, quite a bit in the last few months after years of being there was historically free low. money for a long time. Uh, so yeah, someone who got falsely rejected because of this is looking at a higher interest rate now regardless. Or they were approved at the time for a higher interest rate than what they should have gotten based on their credit score. And now they're stuck paying a higher rate for the foreseeable future. Uh, meanwhile, these false scores were inaccurate in both directions, apparently, meaning that some people's scores showed up higher than they were supposed to, which has obviously pissed off the lenders. Equifax has just pissed everyone off. Uh, and yeah, it's just a big clusterfuck from Equifax. Oh, I bet there'll be another really, new one. I bet they'll be really, uh, you know, uh, energized about fixing the glitch when it comes to people who maybe got a, a rate that was too good. Uh, versus yeah. uh, the, the people who are very upset that they're paying too much than they should All have. All right, the top priority right now is getting these fucking freeloaders out of here. We'll, That's what I'm we'll saying. Like, the yeah, there, there's no way they focus on the people who yeah. are, like, getting screwed by this. Just that they're getting screwed. But I, I do love they pissed off both sides of the, you know, lender lendy arrangement. They leaked... <laughs> America, <laughs> that nothing will happen. What? Nothing will happen. Why? The, Joe Biden shut these people down. Tear down this Equifax. 
the, the, the course of people's lives were upended. A third of the country. Yeah. Or more. And, and that's just out there. You can't. And, and they were like, we'll just give you some credit reporting for like yeah. a year. For yeah. a year, by the way. I think I think they ended up, event, like a lot of people got it for like almost a decade. But yeah, financially, even, even if you could prove that you got your identity stolen and like had to deal with hundreds of hours of inconveniences over it, uh, the most amount of money you can make was $125. Yeah. And then you get the... <laughs> just the, fucking insulting. And then you get the scarlet letter. This guy's got a loose wallet. He, yeah. he, he gave it up to the wallet inspector. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, this is, this is likely, I would hope, it would result in years of litigation and probably another long, drawn-out investigation from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Um, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully, you know, it's fool me once, Equifax. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Uh, we need to shut this fucking company yeah, down. you need to leave. Why do we have three credit reporting agencies anyway? Yeah. Anyway, speaking of things that are virtually unavoidable, like textbooks and credit reports, up in Canada, something that's virtually unavoidable is Timmy Hortons. Basically, the Great White North's Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks, with over 4,000 locations nationwide. And you might not expect a coffee and donuts chain to come up in our weekly tech show, but Tim Hortons isn't just a coffee and donut company. They're also a data company, because every company's a data company these days, and Tim Hortons collected a lot more data on its customers than they legally should have, and ethically should have. Yeah, so up in Canada, like in most developed nations outside the U.S., excessive data collection by smartphone apps is restricted by law, and that's good. Uh, and Tim Hortons' app apparently broke the law by tracking every time a, per a user entered or left a Tim Hortons competitor, a major sports venue, or their homes or workplace, uh, and how they would know what their home or workplace is uh, it would probably be pretty easy. We've, we've yeah. talked about this in the past, but it's the place you are in the middle of the night, the place you are in the middle of the workday. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically, yeah, they pinged people's locations every few minutes of every day. Just hardcore surveillance. The Tim Hortons tracking app. Yeah. yeah. Timmy's always watching. Big Timmy. Big brother Timmy. Uh, you're going to need to delete the Tim Hortons app when you enter the military base. <laughs> is unsecure. Yeah. Uh, see, yeah. Uh, again, this is a coffee and donuts chain, so I, I'm really unclear on why this was necessary. And apparently, <laughs> even the Canadian government is unclear. The, the Tim Hortons' explanation was they were, like, planning on using the data somehow, but those plans got scrapped and they just sort of forgot to stop tracking all of their Yeah, units. well, when like, I hear <laughs> about, like, stuff, something like this, it, it, it could be, you know, malice, but it also could just be, like, uh, well, okay, how much how much data are we looking at? What, what do you want from each customer? Well, I don't know. And he's like, well, there's like 20 options. Just do them all. Yeah, let's get all that data. Like, well, okay, is there anything stopping us? Well, technically, no. Okay, turn it on. So what are we doing this for again? I don't know, like coupons or something? I, we'll yeah. figure that out later. We just need that data now. Well, why not have it and then figure out what to do with it later? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Canadian government described the data collected as vast and highly sensitive. So... Sounds bad. What what kind of punishment is Tim Hortons looking at here? I, after all, they they broke the law. Yeah. Clear as day. Uh -huh. The Mounties are going to be on them in no time. Yeah. Uh, well, here's Engadget. Tim Hortons has agreed to settle multiple class action lawsuits that accuse the company of tracking customers' locations through its app without consent. Under the proposed settlement, which requires a judge's approval, eligible customers in Canada will receive a free hot drink and baked good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> All right, I was a little upset, but you've gone and made things right, and that's what I likes about you. 
Uh, in other words, in exchange for your location data, the restaurant chain will give you a coffee and a donut. Cool. Uh, the fine print of Timmy's email to customers lists the monetary value or of the free hot beverage as $6.19 Canadian. Jeez. And the free baked good as $2.39 Canadian. So altogether, that comes out to around $6.68 in U.S. currency, which, as small as it sounds, is actually a pretty big payout by U.S. class, a class action standards. Yeah, they got us there. Yeah. It's a paltry, almost insulting, uh, you know, I'll take. make good, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, we've got more news coming up for you uh, in just a second, but it's time to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you first hear that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, you might think, what's the catch? But that's the thing. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for the whole family. And at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped straight to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com newsday. That is mintmobile.com newsday. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month by using our link, mintmobile.com newsday. And this episode is sponsored by Babbel. Uh, for most of us, learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. Uh, I took three years of Spanish, and um, yeah, all I really remember was the the senior the senior Spanish trip was pretty cool. Yeah, where'd you go? Spain. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. Wow. I went to Epcot Center. It was cool. I got to see all the countries. I think I used a little bit of the Spanish, but I forgot most of it since then. Yeah. But now, thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. Uh, living here in LA, brushing up on our neglected Spanish skills is obviously a no-brainer. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. And there are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code NEWSDAY. That is B-A-B-B-E-L.com, code NEWSDAY, Babbel, language for life. All right, back into the news now with a pretty brilliant real-life infinite money hack. Well, are you ready? Yeah. Time to get at the bottom of the pyramid. Yeah. Uh, the United States is absolutely awash with firearms. As we said the other day, oops, all guns. Yeah. It's the new flag. That new, did you see that fan art? Yeah, yeah, I retweeted it. It's so good. Yeah. 
Uh, it, we have around 1.2 firearms for every person in this country. And they have twice the amount of rights. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and obviously that's not going to change anytime soon. But w one of the few ways that this country does actually try to reduce the number of guns in circulation is through gun buyback events, usually run by police, where people can hand over guns, no questions asked, and receive money in exchange for them. Uh, the effectiveness of gun buyback events at reducing gun violence is debatable at best. <laughs> yeah. uh, but one person recently made great use of a gun buyback event in Texas by selling the police thousands of dollars worth of homemade 3D printed guns that they produced for next to nothing. Yeah, this one simple trick. It's like, uh, uh, I mean, it happened in real life, but the punch drunk love thing where he turned in the pudding packs and oh, got yeah. unlimited <laughs> airline miles. Yeah. yeah, you didn't say I couldn't do this. Well, we're going to fix that loophole right now. Uh, anyway, here's Vice. Someone walked out of a gun buyback event in Houston, Texas with more than $3,000 after unloading a box of over 50 3D printed guns, according to local officials and media reports. The No Questions Asked event was the first of its kind in Houston, offering residents Visa gift cards of $50 to $200 for each gun they turned in. So naturally, someone used a 3D printer and freely available schematics to fabricate dozens of so-called ghost guns and turned a tidy profit. News of the hustle spread on social media along with photos of the homemade gun haul. Some of the DIY guns pictured don't even seem to be full guns. Many, picture, many appear to just be lower receivers, the part of the firearm that is regulated and considered a gun under the law. Some social media users mocked the buyback program for allowing such an obvious loophole, while others argued that using cheaply made plastic firearms to take money from the government is good, actually. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so there were obviously immediately jokes about showing up to the next gun buyback event with a crate full of Nerf guns, but that won't be possible because the Houston police have now closed the loophole uh, and they've excluded privately manufactured firearms from future events. And as for why this person did this, aside from trolling and making a quick buck, the man who sold the 3D printed guns told the local news, the goal was not personal profit, but to send Houston leaders a message about spending one million tax dollars on something that has no evidence of any effect on crime. Um, message sent, Joker yeah. man. And it probably was about the money too. Yeah. Unless he did light it on fire. He should have a video of him lighting the money from the police on fire. It's not about the money. It's about sending a message. Prove it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But speaking of crime, if you've had a bad time on the dating apps, you're probably not a big fan of ghosting when a potential mate abruptly cuts off communication after talking for a while or even maybe going on a few dates. And 3D prints a ghost gun. <laughs> uh, there are some pretty logical reasons why people ghost, but it still, it never feels very good. But should it be considered a crime? Well, one politician in the Philippines thinks so and uh, recently submitted a bill to the House of Representatives declaring ghosting as an emotional offense and therefore presumably a criminal act. Uh, here's what Representative... Arnolfo Arnie Tevez Jr. wrote in his bill. Ghosting. When someone cuts off all forms of communication can be mentally, physically, and emotionally exhausting to the ghosted person. Studies have shown that social rejection of any kind activates the same pain pathways in the brain as physical pain, meaning there's a biological link between rejection and pain. That goes for friends and partners alike. Ghosting is a form of spite that develops feelings of rejection and neglect. Ghosting has adverse effects on the mental state of the one being ghosted, and his or her emotional state is adversely affected as he or she will be constantly thinking of the welfare or the unexplained reasons of the one who ghosted. The ambiguity with ghosting is that there is no real closure between the parties concerned, and as such, it can be likened to emotional cruelty and should be punished as an emotional offense because of the trauma it caused to the ghosted party. Okay, buddy. Mm. So yeah, it's unclear what this law's chances are of actually being passed. Uh, probably not high. 
Uh, it also doesn't say anything about what the actual punishment for ghosting would be. Yeah. Or how the law would even be enforced. That seems important. So it uh, seems like this might just be Representative Arnie Tevez Jr. expressing his personal frustration with online dating through legislation, which is pretty funny. How tall is this Arnie Tevez Jr.? <laughs> I want to know. Yeah. Is he a short king? Uh, I, I saw a pic. He's young. He's, he looks like he's in his 30s. Um, he, he's a good looking guy. Uh, that, that's what he thinks, too. But he's yeah. like, what, what's wrong with me? But he could be a manlet. But then even if he is, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I've been to the Philippines and the average height there is a little, a little shorter. I don't know. Anyway, I, I would like to see more politicians airing their personal uh, grievances via yeah. via laws that have no hopes of passing. I, they I do. Like it's like when Matt Gates rejected the anti-human trafficking law. Yeah, but I want him to, Matt Gates to submit like this uh, is why his own law about like, you know, why uh, the girls you meet on uh, the girls you meet on sugardaddymeet.com. <laughs> like if they're actually sixes, it should be illegal for them to post pictures that make them look like tens. Mm -hmm. It's not cool. Yeah. Especially you've made all the deal. You've agreed on your terms and then they show up at your hotel room and they it's like not even the same person. Someone should do something about this. Not <laughs> for me. Yeah. Matt, me, Matt Gates. Yeah. Someone should do that. Also, we should lower the age of consent. No <laughs> reason. Uh, speaking of politics, uh, here in the U.S., some actual legislation is about to pass that's, at least on its surface, pretty good, seeming. Uh, the CHIPS Act sets aside $52 billion in subsidies and tax credits for microchip manufacturers who set up new or expanded operations in the U.S. and agree to not further expand their operations into China. And like any bill that gets passed in this country, there's a lot more to it. Uh, but chips are increasingly in literally everything. They're mostly made overseas, though, and that's led to an ongoing chip shortage that has affected all sorts of industries. Can't even get a car. Still. Still can't get a car. Well, uh, the economy's fixing that because now the demand is going to go down because no one can afford them, which is the entire goal of Good. the uh, interest rates going up. Good. Cool the economy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it seems like a pretty big no-brainer. Let's get, get the chips over here. The U.S. needs a lot of microchips, and it would be better if more of those chips were made in the U.S. by U.S. workers instead of in China, an adversarial power that the U.S. government is constantly accusing of using tech to spy on us. This would take care of all that. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is actually pretty unusual for the U.S., where the free market is king. Uh, one expert told the New York Times that this is the most significant investment in industrial policy that the United States has made in at least 50 years. So... That's wild, and uh, hopefully this brings some high-tech industry back to the U.S. in a big way. Yeah. Because uh, we, we used to make things in this country, you know. <laughs> well, it's just like the, the <laughs> renewable energy stuff. It's like, do you not understand that, like, that people will need to be able to build all of this and that it's yeah. an entire industry that is uh, putting people to work? Also, yeah, for green energy, uh, importing solar panels uh, across the Pacific Ocean kind of... Uh, Defeats the purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, meanwhile, there's another bill making its way through Congress, the Inflation Reduction Act. I fucking love, this was originally, like, I can't remember what the original name was, but calling it the Inflation Reduction Act, I believe Joe Manchin came up with that, too. Yeah. I'm starting to, I'm not coming around on this Joe Manchin guy, but I, I am starting to appreciate his, his uh, craftiness. It is funny watching him get, like, roasted by the right and the coal industry, who is just like, Wait, what the fuck? Like, it, it's just so obvious because of the fallout yeah. of, like, the past week. You where... were supposed to be our pawn. Yeah. Ugh, 
anyways. Uh, uh, he got them a lot with this deal, though. The uh, Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, as I like to call it. <laughs> we love the IRA here. <laughs> I love the IRA. It has the potential to cut annual emissions by up to 44% by 2030 if passed and properly implemented, according to actual climate experts who have looked at it. Basically, a lot of the bill involves subsidizing green energy, electric vehicles, environmentally friendly manufacturing, and so on. It's not perfect, and there's definitely some mixed signals when you get into the details, but Joe Manchin's family owns a coal company, so what are you going to do? Yeah, this is the this best is the closest you're going to get. <laughs> best I can do is uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. But yeah, I mean, so far it looks very promising. Um, it really gets into the weeds with a lot of it. It's very practical. Uh, big one is uh, basically, it sounds like they're going to basically outlaw um, any home heating system that doesn't involve heat pumps, mm -hmm. which good. Uh, heat pumps are great. I want to get one as soon as uh, as soon as I can. Mm -hmm. It works as cooling and heating in one device. You ju it just reverses itself. Now the heat goes outside. Brilliant. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Oh, they're great. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, this is slightly good news. And uh, when Joe Manchin explains how it works, he gets a big balloon out and he says, this is inflation. And then he slowly but annoyingly lets all the air out. And this is what we're trying to do. Yeah. And the coal execs are just fuming. They're creating their own CO2 with all the yelling. They are. With all the harumphing. Yeah. All they're, they're, the, the, the heat coming off of their pink faces is actually tearing a hole in the atmosphere. Yes. And burning them alive. Yeah. Hoisted by their own petard. Yeah. Anyways, that's it for today's episode of Tech News Day. Uh, we'll be back soon with an episode of Weekly Weird News. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, if you want to see why a music festival was canceled for the dumbest possible reason and get a good look at the way things are going nationwide, please watch our most recent episode right over here. Uh, and then also the most recent Weekly Weird News where we go into the... Uh, Get down and dirty with the breast size of superheroes. Yep, they're big. They're big, baby. Check those out. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the join button. Leave a comment and a like, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.